Let's go now to the reading of God's most holy word. The New Testament reading is Revelation 15, and the Old Testament reading is Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21. Revelation 15 and Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Then I saw a sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands." And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked... And the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Let us go now to Exodus 15 and read verses 1 through 21, which is our sermon text for today. Exodus 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His host He cast into the sea, and His chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pains have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. 
terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is now the reading of God's most holy word. May he bless the preaching of it this morning. Our text for today begins with these words. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And because you and I are so accustomed to singing songs to the Lord, we might not think much of this statement. Again, the text says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. The word then indicates that this song that they sang was sung immediately after uh, the people of Israel would, were delivered through the Red Sea and uh, Pharaoh's army was swallowed up by the same waters that Israel passed through. But I wonder, have you ever reflected on the ability that humans have to sing? Am I the only one that thinks about things like this? I'm sure you do too. You know, isn't it amazing that we humans have this ability, this capacity to sing with our voices? It's really a marvelous thing to consider. Humans can sing. We have this ability to utter words. That in and of itself is marvelous to consider. We can speak to one another and even to God. But we have this ability to utter words in a musical way. And no other creature with the exception of the angels, can do this. We say that birds sing, and indeed that's true. Birds sing in their own way, but they do not sing in the way that humans do. Humans have this capacity to put words to music, to compose songs, to communicate complex things to God and to one another through, through, through song, through music in this way. Uh, humans and angels are the only rational creatures created by God, and both angels and humans were created with this ability. And so we might ask, why did God make us in this way? Well, I'm not saying that this is the only reason, but I'm confident that the supreme reason is so that we might give glory to God with our voices. Yes, we are to give glory to God with our words. We are to speak to Him in prayer. We're to give thanks to Him with our lips. We're to testify to His goodness. But there is something special about singing. Singing joins the heart and the head in a way that speaking cannot. And this is why the psalmist says, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. That is Psalm 108, verse 1. And Paul the Apostle commands that believers be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ, that is Ephesians 5, 18 through 19, or through 21, rather. And so we are to sing from the heart. When we sing, uh, the heart and, and, and the head are, are joined together, I think, in a special way. I think it is right to assume that God's people have always sung praises to Him. And by that I mean, I think it is right to assume that God's people from the days of Adam, even to the days of Moses, sang songs of praise to God, though we do not have a record of it in Holy Scripture. But here is the thing that I want you to notice. The record of the songs sung by God's people begins here in Exodus chapter 15. Uh, This song, the song of Moses, as it is called, is the first song recorded in the pages of Holy Scripture. And it is a song sung in response to the great act of deliverance worked by God to deliver the Hebrews from the Egyptians. And so notice this. All of the songs of praise uttered by God's rational creatures, whether angels or men, are sung in response to the works of God and to the revelation of God in creation and redemption. We sing because God has revealed Himself to us. Our singing is in response to God's self-revelation. We sing in response to the marvelous things that God has done in history. Did you know that the angels sang praises to God when He created the earth? Genesis chapters 1 and 2 don't say anything about this, but Job 38 does. There the Lord questions Job, saying, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it, on what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. This is a reference to to the angels in heaven. In the beginning God created the heavens, heavenly realm, and the earth. And here in Job 38 we learn that when God created the earthly realm, the angels were witnesses to it. And what did they do in heaven? They sang for joy as they witnessed the works of God in creation. And throughout the scriptures, God's people composed songs in response to His works of creation and redemption. Here in Exodus 15, Moses and Israel sing in response to the Lord's work of redemption. In Judges 5, we find the song of Deborah and Barak, which they sang when the Lord gave them victory over the enemies of God's people, Jabin and Sisera. In 2 Samuel 22, we find a song composed by David in response to his deliverance from the hand of Saul and all his enemies. He sang, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. That was the song that David sung when the Lord delivered him from his enemies. The entire Psalter may be described as a response to the self-revelation of God in creation and redemption. Go read the Psalms and see that these Psalms sung by the people of Israel were in response to God's self-revelation in creation and in redemption. And take special notice of the songs of praise sung in heaven and on earth concerning the Christ at His birth 
upon the completion of the work of redemption at His resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand and concerning His return, the final judgment and consummation of all things. What am I here referring to? Well, we can read in the Gospels and see that when Christ was born into the world, both angels and men rejoiced. They sang songs of praise to God. We see also in the book of Revelation there we are given a glimpse into the praises that are sung continuously in the heavenly realm concerning Christ's finished work. And we are even given a glimpse into the future uh, concerning what will be sung when the Lord returns and when He issues His judgments. Uh, One commentator, Riken, has noted that the drama of redemption is a musical. I think that is very well stated, isn't it? The drama of redemption, the story of redemption that we find in the pages of Holy Scripture, um, it is in fact a, a, a musical. God acts, but then His creatures, His rational creatures, both angels and men, respond with singing, with praise. So the drama of redemption is, is a musical. It, it is a drama. There is a story that is told here. God indeed does act in, in, in human history. Uh, but this story of redemption is accentuated by the praises of angels and of men. And I would also add that this musical comes to a crescendo in the finished work of Christ, His life, death, burial, and resurrection, and His eventual return. The point is this. God created humans with the capacity to sing, and the highest use of this capacity is to give glory, honor, and praise to our Maker and our Redeemer. We are to sing praises to our God with all of our being. And the songs that we compose and sing to our God are to be in response to the revelation of Himself in the work of creation and redemption. Here in Exodus chapter 15, we find the first record, this first recorded song in Holy Scripture. And I think it functions as a paradigm of sorts for all other songs pertaining to the redemption of God's elect. The song of Moses, as it is called, is divided into five parts. In verses 1 through 3, praise is offered up to the Lord. In verses 4 through 10, the defeat of the Egyptians is recounted. In verses 11 through 13, praise and thanks is again offered up to the Lord. In verses 14 through 16a, something is said about the reaction of the future enemies of Israel. Uh, this is an interesting note here. You, you wonder, Why did God lead Israel in this way and and deliver them in this way through the Red Sea? Well, here we are given a glimpse into one of the purposes of uh, God's God's decision here to lead Israel in this way. The nations, we are told, they trembled. The nations that Israel would eventually face, they began to tremble at the news of what God had done. The nations will hear and tremble. Dread will come upon the people of Philistia, Edom, and Moab, and the people of Canaan will melt away as they hear what the Lord did to the Egyptians. And so that is the fourth part of the Song of Moses. And then fifthly and finally in verses 16b through 18, a word is said about Israel coming into the land that God has promised to them and how the Lord would dwell in the midst of them in the sanctuary on His holy mountain. Our passage for today then concludes with a little remark about Miriam. Uh, This woman was the sister of Aaron and Moses. Uh, She was probably the one who followed Moses down the Nile when he was placed in that miniature ark as a baby. Uh, She was probably the one who suggested to Pharaoh's daughter that her mother nurse the child. You remember that story from a long time ago, don't you, in our study of the book of Exodus? 
And Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, played a very significant role in the leadership of Israel. She's here called a prophetess, and so she did deliver the word of the Lord to the people of Israel in some way. And she, along with the other women, women of, of, of Israel, took tambourines and they led Israel in the singing of this song which Moses composed. Uh, they sang, Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea, etc. I think we have here a little summary of this entire song listed for us in verse 21. So these five parts of the song of Moses may be summarized in three points. We see that in the song which Moses composed on the day when God delivered Israel from the Egyptians through the Red Sea, one, thanks and praise is given to the Lord for His deliverance. Two, thanks and praise is given to the Lord for His just judgments. And three, thanks and praise is given to the Lord for His personal presence with His people now and forever. And these will be the three points of the sermon for today. First of all, let us see that the song of Moses moves us to give thanks and praise to the Lord for His deliverance. Moses' song begins with praise to the Lord for His deliverance. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Notice three things about these verses here. One, the emphasis upon the divine name, we are to notice this. The Lord is here emphasized. I have said before that the book of Exodus is really about the revelation of the divine name, Yahweh. Uh, the meaning of this name was revealed to Moses by the Lord through words as he appeared to him in the bush that was burning yet not consumed. And we are to see that the Exodus event itself was a revelation of the divine name. So, so the Lord spoke to Moses in that burning bush. Uh, but we see that he also revealed himself to Moses and to Israel through his deeds, through his acts, as he redeemed Israel from Egyptian bondage. In other words, not only did God tell Moses and Israel who he was with words, he showed them who he was through his actions, through the outpouring of the ten plagues, through the parting of the sea. And here Moses sings about it. He recounts what God has done for Israel. And then he says, the Lord is his name. Two, Moses is here described as, excuse me, Moses here describes the Lord as a, a man of war. The Lord is likened to a warrior. He is a God of action, a God of power and strength, a God who fights for his people to deliver them from evil. Three, this song of praise is in response to the, the deliverance that the Lord accomplished for Israel. And this is also the theme of verses 11 through 13. And, and verses 11 through 13, if we pay attention to the structure of the song, uh, these verses are at the very heart or center of this five-part song of Moses. It is there that we read, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And so this is at the very heart of the song of Moses. This is a praise in response to the deliverance that the Lord had accomplished for Israel. Brothers and sisters, though you and I were not rescued from Egyptian bondage in the way that Old Covenant Israel was, 
this song of Moses may be sung by us in light of the redemption that Jesus Christ has earned for us. And I think this is what Revelation 15 is saying. Perhaps you noticed when I read Revelation chapter 15, we were told that those in heaven who were redeemed, not from Egypt, but but from sin, Satan, and death, they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty, etc. Isn't that interesting? What did the saints in heaven sing, having been delivered from the power of darkness? They, They sang the song of Moses and of the Lamb. I take that to mean that they were singing the song of Moses But in light of the finished work of Christ, they were singing the song of Moses, but it was a more mature version of it, you see. It was an advancement of it. It was, in fact, the song of Moses, which has become the song of the Lamb. So they gave praise to God, not for deliverance from Egypt, but from deliverance from the evil one himself. And so this song of Revelation chapter 15 is not the song of Moses unaltered, but the song of Moses advanced in light of the finished work of Christ. If the song of Moses is the seed, the song of the Lamb is the flower. The two songs are related to one another in this way. The song of the Lamb sung by the saints in heaven is the full-grown and mature version of the other. I think that is what Revelation 15 is showing us here. There is a connection between the two, but the songs that we sing in response to the salvation that Christ has earned for us, they are even greater, brothers and sisters, We are to sing heartily with faith in our hearts concerning the work that Christ has accomplished for us, this great act of redemption. Secondly, let us see that the song of Moses moves us to give thanks and praise to the Lord for His just judgments. I think we are more accustomed to giving thanks and praise to God for His deliverance than we are for His just judgments. Maybe that's an understatement. We are much more accustomed to giving thanks and praise to God for His deliverance than we are for His just judgments. We love to sing songs about the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, don't we? And I think it is right that our singing is weighted in this direction. But notice the emphasis upon God's judgments in the Song of Moses. The people of Israel were following Moses in this lead, but they sang a lot about God's Judgments poured out upon the Egyptians. The people praised the Lord, saying, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemies. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble, etc. These judgments of the Lord were just judgments. And by that I mean these judgments were right. For the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. By the way, you can hardly pack more statements, you know, uh, concerning the selfish desires of the evil (laughs) Egyptians Uh, the enemies of Israel, into one statement than what is done here. I will, I will, I will, my desire, I will, (laughs) my hand shall destroy them. So the enemy pursued Israel 
viciously. Uh, they desired to oppress this people once again. And the Lord poured out His judgments upon them. And these judgments were just judgments. They were right. And for this reason, uh, because of the wickedness of the enemy, the Lord blew with His wind, the text says. The Hebrew word translated as wind is ruah. It can also mean spirit. The same word is translated as spirit in Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the same word translated as wind here in our passage is translated as spirit in Genesis 1-2. And I think it is right for us to hear an echo of Genesis 1-2 in our passage for today. The Lord blew with His wind, and I continue, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Here I am wanting you to make that connection that I emphasized last week between the waters that covered the earth at the beginning of time and the waters that the Hebrews passed through. The same waters covered the Egyptians as God poured out His wrath upon them. And so this is a song about the just judgments of God. The people of Israel sang praises to God for the outpouring of His wrath upon the Egyptians. And you would do well to notice that many of the Psalms are about the outpouring of God's wrath upon God's enemies. And many of the songs found in the book of Revelation also carry this theme And so what is my point? My my point is that from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God is a God of grace. He is praised for His mercy and grace often. But He is also a God of wrath. And He is praised for His wrath too. God will be glorified, brothers and sisters, now and for all eternity, not only for His grace, but also for His just judgments. And this is what Paul famously says in Romans 9.24 and following, What if God, he asks, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. What is Paul's point here in this passage? He is saying that God is right and not wrong to show mercy to some and to judge others. He would be right to judge all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And He is right to show mercy to some. He has this right, for He is God, and we know that He has maintained His justice while justifying sinners by sending Christ to pay for the sins of His elect. This is what Paul says in Romans 3.26. But here in Romans 9, he is saying that, that, that God is going to be glorified in the end, both for his, his rich mercy, both for His grace, also for His just judgments. He will judge sinners at the end of time. He is right to do so, and His justice will be exalted and magnified. He will be praised for it. And so here is my question for you. I know that you are eager to give thanks and praise to God for our redemption in Christ Jesus, but do you also praise Him for His just judgments. Moses did. Israel did. The Psalms do. The heavenly hosts sing praises to God day and night for His mercy and also His judgments. Consider the opening of the book of Revelation. In chapter 1, verse 7, we read, Behold, 
He, that is Christ, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. Uh, This is the opening to the book of Revelation. Why will the tribes of the earth wail on account of Him? Because they will come under His judgments, if not in Christ. And yet even uh, John says, even so, amen. The theme of God being glorified for His wrath is simply too big to ignore. It must be given a proper place in our doctrine and also in our singing. I ask you, is it right that we grieve over the thought of a sinner being judged? Is it right that we grieve over the thought of a sinner coming under God's condemnation? And I say, yes, I think this is right. It is a reflection of the character of God. In Ezekiel 8.32, we hear the Lord say, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. So here we have insight into the very heart of God. Will He judge the wicked at the end of time? Yes, He will. Is it right that He does so? Yes, it is right. But God is saying, I take no pleasure in it. Here He speaks uh, using the language of human emotion and applies it to Himself so that we might understand something of His character. I take no pleasure in it, He says. So turn and live. There's a sense in which it is true that we, like God, should take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The thought of a sinner coming under the condemnation of God should, in a sense, grieve our hearts. But there is another sense in which God's people must believe and confess that God's judgments are also good because they are perfectly just, right, and true. These are not contradictions, brothers and sisters. Uh, We are complex beings. We are rational creatures. We are able to do this. On the one hand, to grieve over the thought of anyone coming under God's condemnation. But on the other hand, to say, even so, amen, just as John does there in the book of Revelation. Even so, amen. Even so, this is right. We know that God will be glorified not only in the outpouring of His grace, but also the outpouring of His wrath at the end of time. There is a sense in which we should take comfort in the just judgments of God. I know that you do this from time to time. I do. And it is right. When I say that you're to take comfort in the just judgments of God, I mean that there is a sense in which you are to look out upon the world and all of the wickedness you you see. You, You may say to yourself, in the end, God will make it right. In the end, God will God will set everything straight. He will execute perfect judgment. In fact, we are comforted by this fact in the Scriptures when uh, we are exhorted not to take vengeance upon our enemies. Don't take vengeance on your enemies. Why? Why should we not? Why should we refrain from this? The Scriptures go on to say, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So we are freed from this because we know that God will set everything right at the end of time. And we are to be comforted by this truth. We are to give God praise, not only for His grace, not only for His redemption, but also for His just judgments. So then as we consider the song of Moses, we should be moved to give thanks and praise to the Lord for His redemption and for His just judgments in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, we should be moved to give praise to the Lord for His presence with us now and forever. In my opinion, These lines in the Song of Moses regarding the Lord's presence with His people are the most beautiful. I think they are also the most insightful. Listen carefully to verse 13. There we read, 
You, Lord, have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. So here in verse 13, we hear of God's perpetual guidance. He leads His people in love. And where is He leading them to? According to verse 13, He is leading them to His holy abode, His holy habitation. So God is present with them and He will be present with them in the future in a special way and indeed for all eternity. Verse 17 returns to the same thing. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. This is beautiful to consider. This is also very insightful. The Lord has redeemed Israel from Egyptian bondage. He's led them through the sea. And where is He leading them to? He's, he's leading them toward this promised land. He's leading them to the holy mountain of the Lord. He's leading them towards uh, the sanctuary, the temple that will eventually be built there in that place. I, I say that these verses are most insightful because they reveal the purpose of the work of redemption that the Lord has accomplished. The Lord rescued Israel from the Egyptians so that he might dwell in the midst of them. These people were redeemed to be God's special possession. They would be his people and he would be their God in a special way. He would speak to them. He would give them his law, enter into covenant with them and dwell in the midst of them. First in the tabernacle, later in the temple which would be built on God's holy mountain. God redeemed Israel to indwell them. But God's indwelling of Old Covenant Israel was earthly and external. Can you see it? God's indwelling of that nation, of Old Covenant Israel, would be earthly, it would be external. Yes, some had true faith in the promises of God concerning the Messiah. And yes, these enjoyed the internal operations of God's Spirit, just as we do under the New Covenant today. But here I am saying that God indwelt the nation of Israel in an external way. His glory filled the tabernacle and the temple. And the people were invited to draw near. This principle of indwelling comes to a climax in the New Covenant. The members of the New Covenant are those who believe. And all who believe truly are indwelt with the promised Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul writes to Christians in Corinth saying, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. Uh, now here are citations drawing from many Old Testament texts, including Leviticus 26.12 and Exodus 29.45. Uh, here is Paul's citation of these texts and others. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Isn't this fascinating what the Apostle is here doing? Are you able to track along with me here? He's speaking to the church, to Christians who have faith in Christ, who partake of the new covenant. And he's saying to these Christians, we are the temple of the living God. And then he begins to cite these Old Covenant passages, which obviously had original reference to the Old Covenant temple. You know the one built with stone and with mortar there in Jerusalem. 
And he says these passages are really about us, you see. Yes, God dwelt in the midst of Israel. He walked among them. He was their God. They were His people. Uh, Yes, He called them out from the nations to be holy, to touch no unclean thing. He was a father to them. They were sons and daughters to Him. This was true of Old Covenant Israel, but in in an external way. Um, These things were a picture of the greater thing that God would do through the Messiah, that is to uh, make His people into His temple. Uh, He would, in due time, atone for sins and inaugurate this new covenant where all in this new covenant would have the Holy Spirit. They would be indwelt by the Spirit of God. Uh, The point that I am making, it might be complex in some ways, but really it is quite simple. We have been redeemed from bondage to the evil one to be indwelt by the living God. We have been redeemed from the kingdom of darkness to be citizens in the kingdom of light and to have God's presence with us now and forever. The Lord rescued Israel from Egypt through Moses to dwell in the midst of them. And this is even more true of the finished work of Christ. It is by virtue of the finished work of Christ and of the new covenant of which He is the mediator that God dwells in the midst of His people, not externally in a temple of stone, but internally and in the heart by His Spirit. Stated differently, the exodus in the days of Moses and the old covenant that was transacted with Israel in those days brought about an external indwelling. The glory of God would be manifest in the pillar of cloud, on the mountain, in the temple. But it is through the cross of Christ that sins were paid for and the evil one was defeated so that God could dwell in the hearts of His people, making them into the temple of His Holy Spirit. And all who had true faith in the Messiah in the old covenant and now in the new Enjoy this internal indwelling. The song of Moses was about this indwelling. Again, verse 13 says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And verse 17, You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. But listen now how this theme of indwelling is greatly advanced at the end of the book of Revelation, a passage now very familiar to you. In chapter 21, verse 1, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is a vision shown to John, and through him to us, of eternity, of the new heavens and new earth that will come to be at Christ's second coming. And so you notice the theme. Israel was redeemed and led by God to the promised land where God's presence would dwell in the midst of them in this external way. That was a picture of this here in Revelation 21, a small little microcosm of it, you see. It was a little, a little model of what God would do at the end of time. Um, but here we see 
uh, that this experience would not be isolated to a small liver, sliver of land in Palestine, but the whole earth would be filled with this, the glory of God. He would dwell in the midst of them. He would be their God, they His people, forever and ever, fully, finally, for all eternity. And I'm saying that between the experience of Old Covenant Israel and the experience that we will have in the new heavens and new earth, we are experiencing this too as God's people. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, having been redeemed by the shed blood of the Lamb. Now please allow me to conclude with a few reflections and suggestions for application. They'll be brief. One, brothers and sisters, as we consider this song of Moses, I think it should move us to take our singing very seriously. The New Testament is very clear that singing is to be an element of our worship. It's one of the things that we are to do when we gather together on the Lord's Day. We are to sing. We are to, quoting now Paul, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it is right to say that the drama of redemption is a musical. We need to contribute to this, don't we? Uh, we need to respond to God's great act of creation and redemption with praise. God's acts and His rational creatures, both angels and men, are to respond to His works with songs of praise. And so we must sing, brothers and sisters. And when we sing, we must sing truth from the heart and in faith. Two, if we have not already done so, I think we should be moved by this song of Moses and the other songs found within Holy Scripture to make room in our minds and hearts for what the Scriptures have to say regarding God's wrath. Like God Himself, we ought not to take pleasure in the judgment of the wicked, but we must confess that it is good and right. In fact, the thought of God's just judgment should bring a kind of comfort to the people of God. And by that I mean God's people should take comfort in the thought that God will judge with perfect justice and equity at the end of time. In other words, He will set everything straight while at the same time showing mercy to undeserving sinners like you and me who are found in Christ Jesus. And we must give praise to God for His just judgments, now and then, for this is right. 3. The Hebrews had good reason to sing this song which Moses composed, given the marvelous act of redemption the Lord had accomplished for them. And in fact, if you stop and think about it, this was a truly incredible act of redemption executed by the Lord. Can you imagine being Israel, having just passed through the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground? And then coming out on the other side, you look back and see this pathway that was opened up for you close in upon your enemies. A truly marvelous act of redemption was accomplished for Israel in those days. And, and they rightly responded with praise. Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, composed the song. Miriam took up a tambourine and said, let's all sing it together. And they began to sing and they sang the song not only then but for generations to come in order to teach these truths to their children. I'm sure this was right for them to respond with such praise. But you and I have an even greater reason to sing. You understand this, don't you? We have an even greater reason to sing. For Christ has come. He lived for us, died for us, rose for us. He ascended for us. He has promised to return for us, brothers and sisters. And so whenever we come to give praise, let us sing to Him, being mindful of all that He has done for us through Jesus Christ. 
He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. He indwells us now and will dwell in the midst of us for all eternity. Israel had reason to praise, we even more so. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life in atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for this great hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that we will enjoy your presence forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. We know that the life gate is Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to you except through Him. So strengthen our faith in Him, O Lord. Deepen our appreciation for the work of redemption that He has accomplished. God, I pray that in this coming year You would move Your people to praise. May we give thanks to You with our lips. May we testify to Your goodness. But may we also sing from the heart when we assemble together as Your people. Move us to praise, O Lord. May we praise you with our lips. May we praise you also with our lives. For you are worthy, O Lord. You have created us. And now that we have fallen into sin, you have graciously redeemed us. And we are grateful, O God. Be glorified in and through your people, we pray in Christ's name.